This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I would like to welcome back Rabbi Gladstein to our Tishaba program. Um, we've had this host to have Rabbi Gladstein on many times in our program and for Tishabov. And here we are again in Golos on Tishabov. We hoped we'll be in Yerushalayim and hopefully uh, it's going to happen soon. But as of now, here we are. So I would like to welcome, welcome you back. Rabbi Gladstein is the Martyr Asra in Kehillus the Ferris Mordechai in Cedarhurst. And he's a Baal the Sefer Magad and many books, um, especially the book for Tishabov, The Darkness and the Dawn. For those who want, can look for it and uh, get started. Um, Rabbi Gladstein, I know you just finished, came back from a trip to Spain and Portugal, and I believe you've seen destruction. There were many, many kahillas over there, kahillas that you probably can't believe that it was vibrant, full of Yiddishkeit, and now probably is pretty empty. If you can tell the audience a little bit of what you saw and the inspiration that you got. Yeah, Menachema, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, this is an appropriate time of the year to talk about this subject. You know, talk about uh, communities in Spain. There were Jewish communities there for at least uh, 800 years. The Rishonim lived there. You had uh, the greatest of all the Rishonim. You had, of course, the Rashba in Barcelona, the Ran, the Ramban in Garona, Rabbeinu Yoyna, and of course the Rambam. The Rambam was born in Cordova, and uh, many, many Rishonim, dozens of Rishonim, and there were very eminent uh, Jewish communities. Menachem, there's nothing there. There's nothing to see. We thought we would go, we would see remnants, relics, imprints, uh, some kind of uh, she'eres. There's nothing to see. The country is empty and void. There's no Ruach and there's no Geshem. Nothing. It was startling. Prepared a, a lot of uh, a lot of information to talk about uh, the some of the great Rishon. Okay, some of the streets, you know, the Rajba Street, very good. But there's there's no apparent evidence that Jews ever lived in that country. There's no shame the Sheiras. The closest you'll see is in some doorways. There's like a little. Uh, Brothers, where you know, once upon a time there was a mezuzah there, but that's it. There's no um, bate kvaris, there are no cemeteries, there are no kvarim, there's nowhere to daven. The rush was in Toledo, nowhere to daven, not for the rush, not for the Rajva, not for the Ramban, not for the Ran, not for Abenu Yoyna. They did a very good job. And uh, you know, Rabbi Gedalia Shore points out that. Uh, Something we could observe throughout Jewish history is that when the Golos comes to an end, then we leave overnight. It's not like the the Goyim, they come and say, you know, we think the time is up. We're going to give you a couple of months. You could sell your homes. You could pack your bags. You could take all of your stuff with you. Now, when the Golos is up, it's all over. There's nothing. uh, uh, The next night, we're out of there. And Rukhdali Shor explains that based on our Chaim HaKadosh, the concept of Golos is uh, to gather 
the Nitzaytzes of Kedusha that were scattered all over the world. But once we're finished gathering in those sparks, then oh, next night, we're on to the next. There's, there's no delay. And that's what we see in Spain. In Spain, it's like we took every last spark of Kedusha out and uh, there's nothing left. You know, I'll, I'll share with you something very uh, powerful. It's even difficult to talk about it uh, publicly. It's a question I had for many years. And I even offered an explanation and I wrote it. And many people really, um, it, was, it was an approach that really resonated with a lot of people. But going back to Spain and Portugal, I think there are other answers possibly to this question. And this is a very important question. You know, on Tisha B'Av, we mourn many tragedies besides the actual Chorban Beis HaMikdash. Of course, we mourn the Asari Harugei Malchus, but we, we mourn the Crusades. Didn't happen at the time of the Chorban. It happened uh, a thousand years later. We mourn the burning of the Shas, 1242. We mourn the Holocaust. So there are many tragedies that we speak about on Tisha B'Av. And it really troubled me. Why is there no mention of the Spanish expulsion in 1492? I mean, 300,000 Jews were expelled from the country. And everybody knows or should know that it happened on Tisha B'Av. <laughs> it happened on Tisha B'Av. So it's not like we're sticking to the script. Only Eicha, only Chorim Neis we talk about things that happened throughout the generations. And the Spanish expulsion was one of the greatest tragedies that ever happened to the Jewish people. Why do we omit it? On, it's like conspicuously absent. Especially that Barmanel writes in one of his introductions that Ferdinand and Isabel, they didn't know. They didn't, they didn't like look on the calendar. Hey, let's schedule the expulsion for a date that, you know, is well known to be a day of mourning for the Jewish people. They, as far as they, they were concerned, they picked the date out of the hat. But it's like Tishbub is a lightning rod. And when there's tragedy that happens, it happens then. Right? We know World War I broke out on Tishbub. The Jews were expelled from France on Tishbub, from England on Tishbub, throughout the generation. I remember when I was a kid, my shul, the Aguda of Avenue L in Brooklyn, it burnt down on Tishbub. <laughs> Everybody knows when there's tragedy that happens, it happens on Tishbub. And here, the Spanish expulsion divinely orchestrated clearly that it was scheduled for Tisha B'Av, and we don't even talk about it on Tisha B'Av. It's omitted. So in the past, I used the following approach, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, but there's something, uh, there's something more, more I, I believe. You know, the G'daylam who lived in those times, when the Jews were leaving Spain, they, they paskin that even though it's Tisha B'Av, they should play live music. Why? One of the reasons is the Jews were so depressed and they're so downtrodden, they're so broken that they, the, the Rabbanim of the time felt it was, it was a question of life and death. The Jews were in danger of just being utterly crushed, demoralized. So they needed to lift their spirits. But there was another message as well. And that is, as painful as it was to leave the country where we thro- uh, flourished for 700 years, for 800 years, but we're not leaving our home. We're leaving the Gullus. And a Jew never cries when he leaves the Gullus. And as difficult as it was, we played music to recognize we never belonged in Spain in the first place. That's not our home. Our home is Eretz Yisrael. 
You can't cry when you leave the galas. You can't be attached to the galas. You can't mourn when a galas is over. Galas is over. It's not easy. It's not easy being uh, completely transported to a different uh, country. No money. Broken. No livelihood. Strangers in a strange land. But at the end of the day, a Jew doesn't cry when they leave the galas. And I believe this is a true answer. But, you know, look, I know, uh, Menachem, on your show, you know, you speak about the issues that uh, others are maybe afraid to talk about. So I think this has to be mentioned. After studying, I did a lot of research to be able to speak. We had a very chashav ilam. We had about 40 people. Educated people, Erlicha people. So I was doing research about the times that these G'daylam lived in and the communities flourished in. You know, in 1391 in Spain, 200,000 Jews were forcibly converted and baptized. 200,000 Jews. Just think about the magnitude of that number. 200,000 Jews were forced to leave the religion. Okay, so you'll say, look, their lives were threatened. And obviously, who could judge them? And they had no choice. And inwardly, many observed Judaism privately, but not everyone. Not everyone. But here's what the, the painful thing is. And I'm going to come back to the really painful thing in a moment. But I want, I want to let you know that in 1492, many Jews went, then went to Portugal. Because at the time, Portugal did not have a policy of, of uh, expulsion. So Jews went to Portugal. But five years later, King Manuel of Portugal wanted to marry Ferdinand and Isabel's daughter. So they said, look, you want, you want this girl who has a shidduch, here, here are the Tanaim. The Tanaim are, you have too many Jews in your country. So you agree to expand expulsion to Portugal, you have her hand in marriage. So he married her, and though that was the condition of the marriage. Now, he, he, was, he understood that his economy was dependent on the Jews. So he gave them a certain amount of months, six to ten months, to liquidate their assets and to get ready to leave. But he didn't wait for that. So on the first day of Pesach, he rounded all the Jews up and he said, either you convert or your children are being kidnapped. And King Emmanuel kidnapped every single child below the age of 18 and no parents saw their children again. This is something that's not so well known. There was a Rishine who lived in Spain, Rabbi Avram Saba, that's Srar Hamar, who went to Portugal. He had two children kidnapped, baptized. He never saw them again. These children were taken off to an island off of Africa where there's an entire island just of Yiddish Kindalach who were, who were uh, converted. And we have no, we have no shame or she'eris of them. So I want to ask you a question. If for a hundred, now, here's an important fact. The Inquisition was in effect for a very long time before the Jews were expelled in 1492. You see, the Inquisition was that any Jew who was threatened to convert and converted can now not go back to practice Judaism. If a Jew 
maintained themselves as Jewish people, they were allowed to practice Judaism. So before 1492, you had Jews who uh, preserved their heritage and they're, they're, they were not being investigated. They only investigated people who converted to Christianity and were suspected of really observing Judaism. That was the Inquisition. So we, they were inquisitive. Are these converts being faithful to Christianity? So I'll ask you a very simple question. In the scheme of history, what was worse? The forceful conversions for a hundred years of hundreds of thousands of Jews? Or the fact that Jews were expelled in 1492? What do you think was worse? That hundreds of thousands of Jews left Yiddishkeit? What's a bigger tragedy? That Jews left our religion by the by the droves, or the fact that in 1492, Spain said, okay, enough is enough. I understand many people converted, but anyone who didn't convert, you got to leave. I mean, in the scheme of things, that wasn't such a big deal compared to the fact that we lost hundreds of thousands of Jews in the last hundred years. So to commemorate what happened on Tisha 1492 is really insulting, if you think about it. and a lack of appreciation and understanding and not knowing and being educated what was going on for, for decades before that. But probably the most painful thing is that there were Rabbonim that didn't withstand the test. And without getting into too much detail, one of the great Rabbonim, Rabbi Solomon Levi, when he was challenged by the church, he converted. And his Talmud, Rabbi Yeshua Halorki, he disparaged the Rebbe. How could you leave our people? How could you abandon us? How can you turn your back on us? And the Rebbe challenged him to a debate. And Yeshua Halorki converted. So what do you think that did to the morale of uh, the communities? What do you think that did? Now, these weren't uh, of the caliber of perhaps Sabar Benel and Rabbi Ram Saba, but you know, to be aware of what was taking place in the time, you know, we know the Ramban had a famous student Avner that uh, many Svarim talk about. The Ramban talks about the Kavayosher talks about. So I'm not trying to uh, you know reveal things that are not known. This is uh, you know it's written about in all the Svarim, but the pressures of the time. So I would say like this. Number one, you think it brings COVID to Klal Yisrael if we were going to really focus in on what, what, what was happening then? In a way, it's, it's almost impossible to talk about. And in a way, it's disparaging to talk about. You're going to talk about that Jews left their Spain? That's what you're going to remember? Why? Because it happened on Tisha B'av? But vis-a-vis what was taking place um, first of all, in the Inquisition, if you're suspected of practicing Judaism, so they would either torture you until you admit either that you um, that you you wholeheartedly embrace Christianity, or, or they torture you. So I think there are a number of reasons why the Spanish Inquisition was not is uh, not discussed too much on Tisha B'av. Number one, like we said, you can't cry when you leave the Galus. Number two, the whole saga. And the whole period, 
in a way, it's it's embarrassing for us. And number three, and this is something I saw in the Ravid. Now, just historically, you know, there were three Ravids. Um, the Ravid that we always talk about, the Ramam and the Ravid, that's the Ravid the second, the Ravid of Pokiers. We spoke about, about the Ravid of Pokiers last year when we visited France. He's the Ravid Balha Hasagais. The first Ravid wrote a Sefer HaKabbalah. He was uh, one of the Rishonim, he lived in Spain, and he wrote a work of history from the beginning of time until his time. And he says something, and I think this is another reason why we don't talk about the period of, of what happened in Spain. He says, expulsion, that's similar to the Chorban. We were expelled in times of Chorban. Hunger, we experienced that in time of the Chorban. Deprivation, persecution, similar to the Chorban. Forced conversion, worse than the Chorban. Forced conversion, worse than the Chorban. He doesn't say this to answer any questions. He just makes this comment that this, this part of Jewish history, forced conversion, this is worse than Chorban Beis HaMikdash, which might be another reason why we don't talk about it on Tisha B'Av, because this is a tragedy worse than Chorban Beis HaMikdash. Tisha B'Av is related, to, is dedicated to those tragedies that are on par with Chorban Beis HaMikdash. There are certain things that trans are even worse than the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. By the way, there was one of the Spanish G'daylam, Rabbi Avram Zakuto. He wrote a sefer called Sefer HaYochsen. And he also invented the Astrolab. And he had maritime charts. So Christopher Columbus used his maritime charts to uh, navigate and sail to America. Actually, Rabbi Avram Zakuto writes that in uh, Portugal, many Jews, they killed themselves to avoid being forcibly converted. And many of these are Jews that we know, we know, we know about. We didn't know that they did this, but, and I'm going to tell you who they were. The wife of the Tur, the wife of the Balaturim, she killed herself so as not to be forcibly converted. And the question is, are you allowed to do that? And he brings many rayas that it's, um, that you are allowed to do that. Gemar and Gitin, where the children jumped off the boat to avoid uh, being violated. And he brings uh, many, many proofs. But this just gives us a picture of what was taking place in, in those times. So there are a lot of things to think about regarding what we don't talk about on Tisha B'Av. So in, in a way, we shouldn't be talking about this today. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's very painful, this information that you're sharing. It's, uh, what, what are we, what are, what's, what, what can the <laughs> audience, maybe you can leave us with, yeah, so, so I want to I want to share regarding the first point, you know, that we don't cry when we leave the gullus. That's something that we we really have to think about, that not to be so attached to uh, as as comfortable as the gullus is, and as much as we're able to practice our Yiddishkeit here in America, but this is not where it's at. This is not our home. This is a, a station, not a destination. Regarding Regarding uh, some of the sad occurrences that we're discussing, you know, it also gives us uh, a moment to pause and think 
that yeah, there are things that happen in our time. What happened to uh, young men and women in our own time? What families deal with in our own time? When uh, Nebuch, if they're not able to uh, uh, merit to keep their children on the on the path, that difficulty and that challenge, that's worse than Chorban Beis Hamikdash. You know, that's more painful than Chorban Beis Hamikdash. That's something that we ha- we did not experience at the time of the Chorban, and it sort of puts and highlights to us as wonderful as life is today. But you know, there are families that are dealing with challenges that you know, go beyond even what we're discussing on, on, on Tisha B'Av. I want to share with you just one uh, final thing that I learned in Portugal. We were in Lisbon. In Lisbon, we stood in front of a church, right? You're not supposed to say that I use a church as a landmark. So I'm not going to say which one it was, but there was a, uh, there was a monument there. And in 1506, there were terrible pogroms in Lisbon. Let's fast forward 200 years to the year 1755. It was November 1st, what we call All Saints Day. And the whole city was in the church, six or seven different churches. At that moment, an earthquake hit Portugal, the worst, the most severe earthquake in the history of the European continent. It leveled the entire city, 85% of the city. Every church in the city was destroyed. So in this city where they forcibly converted and kidnapped all Jewish children, it was smitten by a supernatural earthquake. Now this earthquake, now what, what do the Christians do when they go to the mass? They light candles. The earthquake caused wildfires and people were burnt alive in the place that they burnt Yidin there in the auto de fe. And then they were looking for safety, so they ran down to the riverbed. And a tsunami came and washed them away. And whoever survived, the second tsunami came. And then a third tsunami came. So who are we to say why things happen? But sometimes, uh, like Rav Miller would always say, Rak tera. Now, sometimes you have to open up your eyes. But I'll tell you, you know, see, people see what they want to see. People, uh, so some of the clerics, they said, okay, why is God doing this? It must be, we didn't search out every last converso. There must be some more Yidin practicing Judaism in secret. So they found one more Yid and they burnt him alive. So... On the one hand, you see open Yad Hashem and you see how blinded people could be. And this is all this is all part of the Galas. Where, look, Chazal tell us Hashem is marach ape, Hashem is patient, but ultimately v'gave delay, he, you know, he collects his debt. There's, a, there's a, a day of reckoning. And at the same time, people could be uh, oblivious to it. So it's important for us to to know what we've been through, what we've endured, and use use uh, the rear view win- window, the re- the rear view mirror, as a as a perspective of how to uh, pull out of the driveway and uh, and plot forward. Oh, thank thank you so much. Um, could you leave our audience with Divri Bracha? I'm just a little. 
what with the Tishabov, I know it's hard, but but uh, after Hatzois, we wait, you know, Mashiach is born. And, so it's uh, very important, you know, uh, you would think on Tishabav we're going to spend the whole day sitting in the dirt, sitting in the dust, wallowing in dust. No, Hatzois come, we get up. Because uh, that's the Derecha of Kal Yisrael. You got to get off the floor, dust yourself off, brush yourself off, roll up your sleeves, and uh, plot for the future. Look, here we are after 2,000 years, after everything they've done to us, and uh, we're flourishing, we're as strong as ever. So clearly Hashem has been guarding us, watching us. And if you're here today, and you're a Zoycha, to be able to learn Taira and to be a Shemir Taira Mitzvah. So you have to know that Hashem has been guarding you for 2,000 years from all of these difficulties and all these challenges, be it Chorben, be it Crusade, be it Inquisition. Hashem has been navigating you, saving you, preserving you so that you could be here today. And He gave you the baton. It's like this has been a long relay uh, race. And now the baton is in our hand and we're the ones who have to get it to the finish line. That means Hashem trusts us. He trusts you. He's given you the job that through your learning and your chesed and your tefillah, you're going to take that baton that was passed down to you from your parents, from your grandparents. And it's our job to get, get us to the finish line. And uh, Hashem is rooting us on. And when Be'ezus Hashem, we're going to be zaycheh to uh, to make it happen. Amen. Thank you so much, Rabbi Gladstein, and hopefully we'll meet in person with everybody listening in Yerushalayim, Yerak Kodesh. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.